So good evening, everyone. So we'll begin with a 30-minute period of silent meditation. Just invite you to take any posture that feels relaxed and comfortable. Posture that will support your spine being upright. Shoulders being relaxed. So you might begin the sitting with a few deeper breaths into the belly. Filling the lungs from the bottom all the way up to the top and exhaling, releasing any tension that that you might notice in your face or eyes or jaw, shoulders. Just settling into the body, feeling the contact we're making with the chair, the floor, and the earth. Allowing ourselves to be held in this space. Allowing the sounds of the room and outside to just wash over. Impressions of the temperature of the room Thoughts, other sensations in the body, just letting them all arise and pass. sensations of the body to present themselves. Receiving everything with a kind awareness. sensations of the breathing are presenting themselves, you might 
rest with them. as a way to stay connected to the present. Allowing the breath to come and go as it will. allowing the awareness to rest in the present. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Um, I'd like to talk tonight about settling back and would invite you to listen to the talk with a quality of, of settling back. Settling back into the body, into the, into the present moment, Letting your awareness be receptive. So there's no need to figure anything out. Um, just receive. And, and use this as a time to, to practice uh, experiencing the, the ease and refuge of the present moment. So I thought it might be nice to consider this idea of settling back within the context of the Four Noble Truths. As many of you probably know, the Four Noble Truths were given by the Buddha in his first teachings 
after he became free, became liberated. The first noble truth is the truth that there exists suffering in this world, that conditional events and experiences are inherently unsatisfactory. Birth, death, getting what you don't want, not getting what you want, being separated from the things that you have that you like. All of the myriad uh, experiences in this life that, that have discomfort. The second noble truth is that there, there is a cause to this experience of dissatisfaction. And that cause is our craving and our clinging and our desire for things to be different than the way they are. The Buddha enumerated three different kinds of this desire. Um, And desires is the way that the Pali word tanha is often translated, but it's a little bit of a limited translation. Um, Another way of understanding it is uh, the translation of thirst. And this is a thirst. It it just... for me, at least, it kind of evokes that sense of dis-ease, of <coughs> reaching forward. And the three types of, of tanha, of thirst, of desire that the Buddha enumerated are uh, the desire for sense pleasure. That's uh, kama tanha. And this is the one that we might think about most often in relation to this teaching. That's the, the desire for things that are you know, pleasant, that have um, you know, pleasant things to look at or to feel or to think or to hear. The second type of desire, of clinging, of craving is the thirst for becoming. And this is, this is called bhava tanha in Pali and it's a little bit more subtle it's it's the sense this is really the sense of of leaning forward into things of i am a, an ego going somewhere the third type of desire is the desire to get rid of something that's vibhava tanha to the desire for non-existence, it's sometimes also translated. But I think it, I can relate to it most easily as the experience that I'm having when I when I wish it would go away or I wish this would be different. I, I don't like this. So each of these three different kinds of desires, um, this is the cause of suffering. It is this dis-ease, this lack of rest, this wanting things, if only things were different. And this is, 
this this wanting is what keeps us kind of on the wheel of birth and death. And um, and there's so much momentum in the mind of, of always wanting, and this keeps kind of carrying us forward. Looking more closely at the suffering of becoming, the desire for becoming of Baba Tanha. This is one that maybe doesn't get as much um, airplay as the others, but I think it's very important to consider how it might actually be happening in our own lives. And again, it's the sense that I am going somewhere. I am giving this talk. You know, I'm in my car and I'm trying to get there and there's a destination and then there's obstacles on the road that I need to navigate around. You might experience this in a conversation as you're talking to someone. The sense of leaning forward, you know, as the other person is speaking, how natural is it to be planning what we're going to say next? to be thinking about where we're going to go next. Always leaning forward, doing some tasks around the house. You know, it's washing the dishes in order to um, get, get to bed. Maybe we're tired, or maybe there's a great movie that we're going to watch. The sense of trying to get through things in order to get somewhere else. It can be a sense, even more subtly, of... I want to become a great meditator. I want to attain a clear mind. I want to understand these esoteric teachings. I want to get my degree. I want to become successful, wealthy. Um, and, And many of these are very noble aspirations. And it's certainly not... To, to say that one shouldn't go ahead and 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 practice meditation or uh, go to school and and learn, but it's this is an investigation into the what is the experience of that thirst for becoming something else, something different, something better. One place I experience this. Um, very clearly is not eating. If I'm not being very mindful, as I'm eating one bite, I'm chewing, I put the food in, start to chew, and maybe have a few moments of experiencing, oh, pleasure, this is really wonderful food. But then it's usually on to, well, it would be maybe even a little bit better if this bite of rice had a little bit of that broccoli in there just to, you know, kind of balance the ratio of the flavors, you know, so it's heading for the broccoli while I'm still chewing this one. Or, I mean, I don't know if anyone else has ever had that experience, but it's just this leaning forward, you know, and by the time we know it, the food's all gone, and, well, where did did it go? Um, These are the kinds of things that that I've I've had a... uh, more of a chance to look at when I've been on retreat. You know, when, when there's, it's really more clear that there's nowhere where we're really going. You know, um, walking meditation is a great example of this. It's very revealing of the ha- habits and tendencies in the mind. So 
maybe some of you practice walking meditation. You stand over here, and then you walk about 15 steps that way, and then you turn around, and then you walk back, and then you do it again. And um, So there's, in terms of the world, there's not a lot of point to this. You're actually not going anywhere, but it's an opportunity to look at the mind and see how it reacts. And it's uncanny how the mind... Even on a meditation retreat, you're moving very, perhaps you're even moving very slowly. You're not speaking, there's nowhere to go, you have no appointments, but there's still the sense of, I am going there. It's a little subtle, but it's, um, it's very different. It's a very different experience to have that than I am here, you know, and maybe there's some walking happening. Or not even I am here, but there is walking happening. You know, there is sensation. There's, you know, maybe there's a breeze if you're outside or whatever. There's, there's just now, and it's something to investigate in our own experience. Like driving over here, I was um, thinking about this, and and I was, and I was practicing, and noticing the shift in the quality of my experience. When I went from me navigating to me kind of receiving, just receiving the sights, the sounds, you know, the other cars going by, and going from a kind of a, that, again, that sense of leaning forward to settling back. And it's remarkable how such a small um, shift in perspective can change the experience, and, and it can be so much more filled with ease. But there's lots of momentum in the mind, you know, and there's, there's so much momentum in our culture and, and so much information and speed and so much conditioning that's telling us that we need to be going somewhere and we need to be improving, we need to be having certain kinds of experiences. We need to be getting where we're going very quickly. So when we sit down to practice, and again, sitting with a breath, we're not going anywhere, there's nothing to do um, for the next 30 minutes or whatnot. And yet, we get to experience the the momentum that the mind is carrying with it, the, the inertia that we build up through, through years of living in a culture uh, which has such a high value on speed and consumption. And we're just trying to keep up. You know, on the freeway, you, you, have to, you have to go a certain speed or, or you'll be run down. <laughs> so this experience of, of or setting the intention to settle back um, we actually get to experience first before any settling back. We start to experience just the the, the going forward that we've, we've been doing. And sometimes we, we actually do find that sense of rest. But then something uh, will arise and our conditioning is so strong that, that we'll react to it. If, you know, this is... If it's as natural in a way, it's very natural. If, if something's pleasant, we'll lean towards it. And if it's unpleasant, we'll shy away. 
And the sense of balance is very precarious, that sense of rest. There's a really nice simile that I like about, that describes this. And if you imagine um, a very steep mountain, very pointy mountain, and there's a ball on top of this. And you can maybe just sort of set the ball down there. Maybe it's a, a mountain on the scale of the little prince. It's a small mountain. But it, and it, if all the conditions are right, if there's no wind, sunny day, you know, the friction on the ball is just, it's not wet or slippery. Um, maybe the, maybe the mountain is, happens to be on a retreat center where there's, you know. Anyway, the ball can rest there and it can balance. And it, and it doesn't slip off into grasping or fear or, but it's very precarious and even the slightest wind or sound or thought or, or phone call can bump it right off. However, with practice, and that's what we're doing here, the practice of investigating our mind, investigating our experience, of living with morality and, and kindness, of generosity, this is the, the, this is the Buddha's teachings, that, that through this practice, actually this mountain gets worn away. And eventually, it becomes a valley. And so now, this ball, it just rests, it rests in the present with no effort. And it would take a tremendously strong wind or flood or something like that to budge it and to move it. Maybe it still could be moved, but the tendency would be to rest in the valley. So I think that's kind of a lovely image of, of what we're doing here, why we're practicing. Um, a student of Chogyam, uh, Chogyam Rinpoche once said, the entire path consists of nothing more nor less than learning to rest in the gap between feeling and craving with ever more depth and subtlety. One way that's proved very useful to me in cultivating the sense of rest is the practice of listening. Listening, by definition, is a receptive process. It's non-directive. It's it's not doing. It it has the sense of settling back, kind of inherent in in the action. An interviewer once uh, asked Mother Teresa, uh, what do you say when you pray to God? And she said, "Uh, nothing, I just listen. And he was a little bit taken aback by this. Surely he must be doing something. Well, then he said, "Well, well, what does he say then? And she said, nothing, he just listens. So I guess it's, I feel it's important not to underestimate the power of listening. It's actually, it's actually a remarkable act. It's bringing our full attention, our full kind awareness to a situation. Um, it's as if there was a, a crying child and who's 
perhaps she just skinned her knee or fell down or something like that. And so, so it's not to, to underestimate the, the healing, transformative power of, of just kind of holding, of you know, receiving that experience and, and how much um, that can allow healing to happen, transformation, growth, release, release from suffering to happen. Um, the Bodhisattva of compassion, uh, Avalokiteshvara or Kuan Yin, names, different names for it. This, this essence of compassion, actually the name means uh, the one who hears the sounds of the world. So there's this, this beautiful link between listening and compassion. Another quality of listening that I really appreciate is it's so clear that things are happening on their own. They're arising and passing. And we don't have to do anything. We can just let them be, let, let them arise, be, pass, without any manipulation of, of ours, any willful action. It just happens. Another aspect I appreciate is that it engenders in me a sense of curiosity. Of It reminds me how true it is that I don't know. I mean, does anyone here know what the next sound we're, we're all going to hear is? You know, we have no idea. And that's really how our lives are. We might think that we have it all planned out, that we've got insurance policies and we've got guarantees and mortgages and taxes, and we think we know, but we don't. It's um, it's something I've really gotten into on retreat at times. Uh, this practice of listening, you know, with the receptivity, curiosity, and a place that's really wonderful to practice it. And it is in a, and doesn't have to be on retreat certainly, um, but is in a dining hall or some place where there's a lot of people kind of bustling around and, and little sounds, and settling back into this a place of awareness. The experience can transform in, into, from, from like a sense of din or just background noise to this really interesting symphony. You know, a, a spoon clanking there, different conversations coming in and out, a chair moving, and, and just settling back so that everything is arising and passing. And, you know, it's like the, the string section comes in over here and there's some percussion and, you know, and who's the conductor? I don't know, but, but it be, can be a quite a delightful way to, to just be in the present, not knowing and not needing to know, not needing things to be a certain way. And, and all of this to me is, is a helpful r- remedy for this kind of um, addiction to becoming, this thirst for, for ha- having it turn out a certain way or for get, becoming more or different. You know, even um, it's, it's very natural um, on a meditation retreat or, or just coming to a sitting that we, we, might, we might have the, I certainly have had this idea so many times of that a, I'm going to have a good sitting or well, well, even more, well, what is a good sitting? Somebody said to me, um, she was uh, doing some practice on, on a bus ride, and she said, 
oh, it was, it was a little difficult to practice. And I, certainly I've had that experience many times, but we were both kind of struck by that. Well, what does it mean to be difficult to practice? Certainly, being on a bus ride with a crying baby all night, this is, it's not it's difficult to have a completely uh, silent mind. There's a lot of information impinging upon us on a bus ride like that and throughout our lives in general. But none of that impedes uh, the goal of the practice. The goal of the practice is actually not to have a completely silent mind. The goal, as I see it, of, of the practice is to become free from suffering, to find a sense of peace and ease, compassion that's unshakable, that's not disturbed by the different things that inherently impinge upon us in this human realm. You know, this is, again, this is the first noble truth. Things happen in the world. We, we have a body. We, ha- we will have contact with things that are unpleasant. And as we, as we know, we can't avoid the different kinds of uh, you know, insults, of sickness, of old age, of death, all of this we can't avoid. And if we get into the idea that, that uh, a good meditation, a successful meditation, is one where we've avoided all of that, then you know it's a it's a limited understanding of the practice you know and certainly we it's helpful skillful means to do what we can to you know find a, a quiet place without you know we're not sitting on the sidewalk um, but protected place to make it a little bit easier for ourselves but this sense of of of, of settling back from becoming we can actually include whatever arises in the practice. So the sounds, the room, you know, people coming in at different times, or of the temperature not being quite right, or, or uh, you know, the traffic outside. We can just include and embrace all of that. And instead of being an obstacle to the meditation, it is the meditation. You know, the meditation is the practice of learning to relax with what is true. You know, anytime we're running away from what's true, we're suffering, we're not at ease. So so I've heard these teachings so many times and so many times I catch myself, especially on retreat, like trying to get somewhere, trying to get that mind of silence or of clarity. And, but I'm learning, I think, slowly that the real peace is in, is in resting with what, whatever is here. Maybe there's confusion, maybe there's sorrow, maybe there's tightness. Um, but, but, no, but no healing hap- is, is ever, I, as I understand it, no healing ever happens by wanting it to be different. We must actually let things be as they are before they can go, go and to assume their nature to pass. You know, of course, everything is passing and flowing. Except when we hold on. I think that actually tends to reinforce the, uh, the illusion of um, permanence.
One other thing to uh, I like to reflect on in terms of letting things be. It's also important, uh, and, you know, that letting things be that brings up a, an image or, or the sense of patience. You know, patience is a wonderful quality. It's one of um, Kanti is the Pali word that it's referring to, and it's one of the ten perfections that the Buddha developed or the Bodhisattva developed before he became a Buddha. But patience, I think maybe it's a cultural thing or whatever, but patience can imply a sense of, well, I'm bearing this, and I'm going to just kind of endure, grit my teeth, gut it out, and then it'll be over. And that doesn't really have a sense of, of ease or rest to me. It's more of a sense of kind of like getting through it. Um, Jack Cornfield sometimes translates that same word, kanti, as constancy, which I really like. So instead of just bearing with it or you know, just being patient so that it'll change, it's a sense of being constant in my, the offering of my attention, the offering of my kind awareness, my receptivity. And I'm going to do this because not because it's a good thing to do or I should or whatever, but perhaps because there's been some experience that this is actually the place of ease, the place of rest, uh, the place of freedom, and that that freedom is available to us in no matter what the circumstances are. We don't have to have a perfect, perfectly silent room or even a cave you know, without any disturbance that we can actually find that sense of settling back, relaxing, of, of peacefulness, no matter what's going on. It's, it's our relationship to the experience, not the experience itself, which determines whether we experience freedom or peace. There is a refinement or a very... What's the word? There's a type of listening that I found to be very helpful for engendering this quality of, of ease. And it's, it's a shift in perception. It's, it's still listening, but it's a shift in perspective, perspective from the figure to the ground, as it were, from the things, the sounds that are arising, the traffic, people in the room, things like that. <coughs> Shifting it back to the silence itself. So maybe we could all just try that just for a few seconds. Just be still, settle back, and receive the silence. Beneath whatever sounds, do you experience something fundamental, underlaying. Something constant, supporting. 
So this is silence. Does anyone just raise your hand if, if you hear something, perhaps like a like a I experience like a white noise or like a hiss. Maybe a, some people describe it as a ringing tone. Um, does anyone? A few? Yeah. Um, if, sometimes people think that they don't hear it, um, that and they're looking for something very specific, like a, maybe a um, like a constant tone. And and some people actually feel it in the body. Some people don't really experience it. But if you happen to, to uh, it can be a really useful way to rest in the present. I, I learned this from Ajahn Amro, who uh, learned it from his teacher, Ajahn Sumedho. He's been practicing, they've been practicing and teaching it for a number of years, or many years. Um, but actually, it's um, in the Hindu tradition. It's uh, the sound. It's called the Nada sound, and people have been using it as an aid to meditation for thousands of years. But whether you kind of experience it directly or not, it's it's evocative of this shift from an enchantment with mm, kind of a sense of Absorption into the things that are arising in the passing, and and kind of being uh, spun around by the by the constant impingement of the senses and desires and feelings and settling back to the background. Um, maybe some of you have seen this before. So in this one. Uh, what what do you, what do you see? Uh, do you see a white vase in the center, or do you see two faces? Yeah, or do you see both? Can you switch? Can you choose to switch? So in this one, the figure and the ground are sort of equal in prominence, and it's pretty easy to switch from one to the other. It's actually a little harder to see them both at the same time. This was uh, this faces vases uh, faces vase illusion was made famous by a Danish psychologist named Edgar Rubin in uh, 1915, but it's actually been around for for many years before that. Uh, Carl Jung, about this figure ground shift, said, One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Well, I like this this, this silence, this experience. In listening, I think, encapsulates or evokes many of these qualities too. But for me, it evokes qualities of the, of the Dharma, of the, the truth, of the way things are. Mm. This the sound as I experience it is is ever present. It's it's fundamental. It's underlaying. It's supporting. It's containing. It's it's formless. Can't be grasped or pushed away. It's it's a place of of rest. No matter what happens to be going on, like you know the space. Um, 
uh, just an image to, is coming to me of, like, say, a football stadium or even an indoor basketball arena. You know, at, at one point in the evening, there's 15,000 screaming fans and, and excitement and, and all of this energy. And yet, you know, in the middle of the night, that same arena w- will be completely silent. And it's like that space that contains, can contain all of it. Or also, I don't know if they, I haven't seen one of these for a long time, but those little little globes that have a sand, um, that have a snowman inside, and they have all that, you know, the snowflakes, and you can shake them up. It's like I, I conceive of this as the the sphere that's holding it all, and it's not disturbed by whatever blizzard might be going on inside. It's just holding it there, and it's like we can settle back into that awareness and and just allow things. To, to, to happen within and and so we can be driving and allowing the images allowing the cars the sounds and of course responding appropriately <laughs> but um, but with less sense of leaning forward or pushing away and this sound of silence can serve as a really useful meditation o- object um, certainly for me it's it's been that um, for for many people uh, well, first of all, as the breath is, is given as a subject of meditation, and it can be a wonderful uh, way to come into the present, to settle back. But it actually isn't um, a neutral object for everyone. Uh, I've met many people who've experienced this. I've experienced this times myself. Um, that the, for whatever reason, there's some past conditioning or history or some concept or some bodily uh, experience, that the, the breath might not be the place that's easiest to find a sense of rest. Um, you know, but you know, the, sub, the, the point of meditation is not to become an expert on the breath. Or it's, it's to, just to use that as a reflection as, as a way to reveal our mind's tendency to grasp, push away, space out. And the sound of silence, or even or listening in general, can serve that same function of helping us rest in the present. Listening is always in the present. Sound of silence is always in the present. It can help us keep coming back. So maybe let's just take um, about um, two, two or three minutes, maybe two minutes, and I invite you to close your eyes and settle back. It's resting relaxing into listening.
So settling back, releasing the need to become different. Then a need to attain, improve, change. Pema Chodron says that the desire to improve is a form of self-aggression. You know, so the, the experience of listening is a very, although it's receptive, it's a very powerful act of compassion. It's an act of wisdom. It's also a place where we experience this momentum, this habitual momentum of the mind. Something from Sogyal Rinpoche uh, called The Four Faults. Why is it that people should find it so difficult even to conceive the depth and glory of the nature of mind? Why does it seem to many such an outlandish and improbable idea? The teachings speak of four faults which prevent us from realizing the nature of mind right now. The nature of mind is too close to be recognized. Just as we are unable to see our own face, Mind finds it difficult to look into its own nature. It is too profound for us to fathom. We have no idea how deep it could be. If we did, we would already, to a certain extent, have realized it. It is too easy for us to believe. In reality, All we need to do is simply rest in the naked, pure awareness of the nature of mind, which is always present. It is too wonderful for us to to accommodate. The sheer immensity of it is too vast to fit into our narrow way of thinking. We just can't believe it, nor can we possibly imagine that enlightenment is the real nature of our minds. I certainly can relate to those um, those experiences, those minds, this, and the experience of how difficult it, it can be to just be, to allow things their truth. It's a very unfamiliar experience. Sometimes I think of it, this kind of journey into the present, like getting into a very hot hot tub or hot springs. Not just 104 degrees, like you know, 110 or something like that. Where when you when you first have con- make contact with it, it's like, no, no way. There's no way I can get into that. But maybe you, you kind of hang around for a while, 
and you see there's some other people, they don't look, you know, and they're in there, and they seem to be very relaxed. They seem to be having a good time. So, so it's a process of just testing the waters and a little bit of the time, the toe and then the leg, and then getting in. And for for me, that ex- that experience of getting into very hot water is 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 one that has it's it's gradual and i i get to experience my the, my resistance to it you know and the and the tension and but gradually it's i find possible to let go settle back relax ease and this water that initially seems so unbelievably hot you know impossible to enjoy becomes so nurturing so healing and the only difference is my relationship to it. It's my, you know, the, the gradual softening of my resistance and relaxation into it. And I think this is, or another way sometimes I think about it, coming into the present, it's like if you've been uh, flying around in the space shuttle for a while, you know, in orbit, and I, I think... Um, myself and m- many of us uh, often are pretty disconnected from the earth, from our own bodies. Even we're just kind of in orbit in our minds. And sometimes it's pleasant, unless you know, until you run into something or whatever. But but anyway, this journey back to earth, back to the present, you have to go through the atmosphere. You know, and there's a lot of smog in our atmosphere, a lot of habits in the mind, and patterns, and fears, and conditioning. A lot of momentum, and that process of re-entry, you know, it's one where you have, things burn up, and you know they have these special panels on the space shell so that so that uh, it, it doesn't they all don't all incinerate through that journey. I'm not sure if that's the best image or not, but <laughs> but it but going through that layer, you finally return home, and it's like the astronauts kissing the Earth, you know, when they finally come back to solid ground, and they feel that sense of home that they've never experienced before. You know, it's like, oh, this is where I live. This is where I've always lived. And it's so incredibly beautiful and so miraculous to just be in contact. This 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 way of practice uh, is sometimes called um, big mind practice. And it has... This parallels to the Dzogchen teachings in Tibetan Buddhism. I, I, I just like to think of it more simply as, as expanding the container, that expanding our minds so that we can receive everything that's arising and passing. And, and letting go, you know, and, and when the mind becomes more stable, then we can, our meditation can be the letting go of whatever's arising. And, and we can even let go of our meditation object, whether it's the breath or this practice of listening or, or even, even the very spacious object of listening to silence. You know, when the mind's stable, um, it can just rest in an, in an awareness that's receiving, that's open to whatever's coming through. And, and, um, you know, and, and if we can maintain that balance, you know, of not clinging or pushing away, then there's that experience of peace.
just noticing, perceiving how what we call our reality, what we call our experience, is really just this ever-changing flow of sensations. You know, there's sounds, there's thoughts, there's sensations in the body, there's sensations of temperature, there's smells. You know, there's the six sense doors, and that's it. That's all we ever get. It's just different combinations, you know? And we create all of this, you know, our whole lives tend to be built around trying to manipulate these conditions so that they're pleasant. You know, but this, this second, you know, this, these are, these are the, this is the suffering that the Buddha is pointing to, that this manipulation is actually very tiring. It's exhausting. It's, it's unsatisfactory. There's no lasting happiness. And that the only lasting happiness comes from a settling back, a rest, putting down the burden of all this doing. You know, but this is so, uh, it's so against our conditioning and, and we might say, well, can this really be enough? You know, um, I need to, be, you know, don't I have to be doing something? Um, uh, Sylvia Borstein has one of her books is called Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. <laughs> Which is a very revolutionary concept, isn't it? You know? <laughs> but it's actually um, it's actually the path. It's, but it's but this practice of big mind is a little bit tricky in in one way because it's really important to distinguish between spaciousness and spacing out. You know, if we just kind of go into sloth and torpor or in delusion or whatnot, then then we're actually getting pulled, pushed and pulled by our reactivity in a way that we're not conscious of. So we're just kind of tuning out and spacing out and getting cloudy. And that's that's not the experience that the Buddha is pointing to as being freedom. Um, uh, the, the phrase diligent effortlessness is one that has been applied to this. So there is... There is ardor, there is effort, but but the effort is to continually remember to relax. The effort is to remember to be effortless. It's, the effort is to remember to settle back a thousand times, a hundred thousand times. Each time we 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 are each time we're mindful, we have an opportunity to to see how we've gotten we've taken the bait, you know, that the world's hanging out for us. You know, we've taken the bait of and we've we've built a self you know we've built me so we've built somebody to protect somebody to improve somebody who needs to get some stuff and get rid of this stuff so every moment of mindfulness is a, is a chance to release that And we, we might also ask, but what about the kind of vast extent of the Buddha's teachings? You know, could and again the sense of this letting go. Could this really be enough? But it's actually right there in the third noble truth. I mentioned the first two earlier. Well, the, the third noble truth is that there is an end to this experience of suffering, and that end of suffering happens when these desires, the desire for sense pleasure, the desire to become, get, the desire to get rid of, when those desires are let go of, 
so is the suffering. And there's the experience of peace that's underlaying it, that's, that's always been there. So it's actually in this, the most fundamental, the first discourse of the Buddha, this, this practice is implied. This, the, essentially the practice is, uh, Joseph Goldstein said, the entire Dharma is teaching is basically don't cling. <laughs> and then there's peace. You know? the, the fourth noble truth is, is the, actually the way to do that. And then there's all of the different skillful means and all of the teachings. Uh, a great uh, teacher to uh, Joseph Goldstein and, and uh, Jack Cornfields, um, Sharon Salzberg, uh, many others, um, Munindra, um, once said, if you sit and you know that you're sitting, the whole of the Dharma will reveal itself to you. So the mindfulness is in just remembering that we're sitting, remembering that we're listening, settling back. And this is enough. I'd like to close with uh, a poem by David White that's called Enough. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to the life we have refused again and again until now. Until now. Maybe just sit for a moment, let the words settle down. Thank you. Um, so there's a couple of minutes. We're a couple of minutes before nine o'clock. So if there are any questions or comments, you're welcome. Or if you need to to go, it's fine too.
focus on your breath and just try not to let thoughts intrude? Or? Well, the, the breath and the listening, the sound, um, feeling into the body in other ways besides the breath, all of those are techniques, they're skillful means in, in order to come back to this, that experience of the present, that experience of balance, of settling back, of rest, of peace. So if, you're, if you happen to be using the breath as, a, as an anchor into the present, then when you notice that you're somewhere else, it, when, you, when those thoughts have captured you and you've gotten on that train, actually that noticing is, is kind of the goal of the practice. That noticing is the mindfulness that allows us to be free, that allows us to relax, to be at peace, that allows us to get off the train and come back to the present. So that, so that noticing is... Um, and, then you, and, then you're, and then you're there in the present again, and you feel the breath coming in and out, or perhaps you're sitting with the silence and you and you experience that, or perhaps you're resting with hearing and you're noticing and you're back to, to letting things come and go. And then, of course, our mind will catch on to something else, something will remind ourselves of something that happened a long time ago or something we're going to do, and then we're gone. And we might be there for a very long time, but of, you know, at some point we'll realize, oh, I'm thinking, you know, I'm somewhere else. And again, that moment is mindfulness. And then the moment, and then and then you're settling back, and then you're in the present. Does that? Okay. In other words, you don't have, it's okay if the mind wanders, it's more being aware that it is wandering. Yeah. The mind will wander. This is the nature of the mind, is to think. And, you know, it's like, it'd be like trying to hold back the ocean or something like that. And, and there's no peace in that either, trying to keep it all at bay. Again, the peace is just letting it be, letting it do its thing, and keep coming back to the present. And, and not, but also not buying into the story, not believing it, not believing that I need to figure this all out. But of, it's like, oh, I can just rest, I can come back. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good night.